Our second reading this morning is um, from Luke chapter 1. I will read verses 26 through 38. You can find the words uh, in your Bibles. I mean in your bulletins and in your Bibles. Luke chapter 1. Hear the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, the privilege to uh, gather as your people, to gather here in this sanctuary, to gather online. We pray that uh, you would be present with us uh, this day and all days forward. We pray that... We would hear your voice this day and all days forward. We ask that you would be honored and glorified uh, in our worship this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been getting lots of Christmas cards, which I really enjoy. If we had a big screen. This is my favorite one. I don't know if you can see. This is a this is an old postcard. It was actually written to Emma Perkins in Highland, New York, back in... December of 1915, so it was resent to me, but it was just as good the second time around. We all wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I guess the greetings really haven't changed that much over the past hundred years, but I do, I do enjoy them. I also enjoy, uh, I enjoy the picture postcards. Uh, you know, it's good to see people. Some people you don't see, but at Christmas time, and so you get the little update. Some of our people are very beautiful. It's always nice to see the pictures of them. This year, we, I've got the Good Riddance 2020 card. I think this this is going to go down. This is going to go down in history, the Good Riddance card. Uh, they all look pretty happy. The only problem with this card is that the, the proud parents have a picture of their children, but I don't know who the parents are. Okay, so always include yourself uh, uh, in the card. I enjoy uh, getting the cards. Uh, there are a bunch of them on the on the back table there. I enjoy receiving them and the, uh, sharing these greetings that we have with uh, one another, especially as we're separated from one another. This past week, I've, I had, I think, four 
uh, evening meeting, all of which were by Zoom, and so I got to see a lot of our people uh, on, you know, the little screen there uh, in in my office, and I had a couple of one-on-one meetings with people uh, via FaceTime, uh, which is strange. I mean, it's better than it's better than nothing. Uh, I know there are people who are watching online this morning. We don't get any feedback from them, which is a little peculiar. Like at least on Zoom, you get to see faces. This uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to be trying something new. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but we're going to try to Zoom in the congregation, those who can't be here, and we're going to see their faces uh, up on the screen, which would be nice, okay? Because they're out there. Uh, we get to see them, you know one often conversation. So if you're watching online this morning, uh, here's my charge to you. During the course of this sermon, I want you to send me a text. Okay? I got I got my phone right here. Uh, I'm going to turn it off so it won't be disturbing to anybody. But let me know you're there uh, as we share the Word of God together. So the question Mary asks is, how will this be? How will this be? And that's a fair question for Mary to ask. And Mary asks it in response to all of the things that the angel has said to Mary. The angel has told Mary two things about right now and seven things about things that are to come. Nine different things as I uh, read it. Let me list these nine things that the that the angel says for you. Hi, Sue Belinsky. Uh, the angel says to Mary that right now Mary is favored by God. That right now the Lord is with her. And then we learn that one day that she's going to conceive and that she's going to bear a son named Jesus and that one day her son is going to be great and that one day the son is going to be called the son of the most high, that one day the Lord God is going to give this son the throne of King David who is his ancestor. And that son, once he begins to reign, he's going to reign forever and that son's kingdom won't have an end. And to all of this, Mary says, how will this be? It seems like a good question. Hi, Deb. Hey, Rick. All of this is offered to little Mary as a glimpse into what the future is there. Note, Jeff Kaler was not the first responder. He wanted to be the first, but he wasn't the first. You got beat out. A lot of people focus... On the virgin birth of Jesus. And the virgin birth was a big miracle at Christmas. And it seems that maybe Mary was focused also on this virgin birth thing. She says, how will it be since I'm a virgin? That's how the gospel writer records this conversation. But what is more remarkable? What is more unbelievable? To be born of a virgin... Or to become king of Israel while your country is occupied by the most powerful nation on earth. What's more remarkable, more unbelievable to be born of a virgin or to be king eternally? The physical miracle of a virgin birth actually pales by comparison to God's supernatural control over the course of human history. Yes, a boy will be born of a virgin. 
But that boy is actually connected with the entire story and the entire destiny of the human race. It's a big story. Jesus, the virgin-born child, is connected not only to the future of the planet, he's also connected to its deep past. Jesus is the axis on which all of human history turns. He is the beginning and the end of history. And his virgin birth is just one little episode in a much larger and weightier story. Keep in mind that Jesus uh, is from outside of the universe. And then he shows up in a stable in Bethlehem. But let's rewind the story a little bit and look at our Old Testament passage from 2 Samuel because the passage in 2 Samuel happening 1,000 years before Jesus was born is also about Jesus. In our Old Testament reading, we heard God speaking to King David... Not through an angel, the way he spoke to Mary. This time God speaks through a prophet named Nathan. David's kingdom is secure. His enemies are at bay. His government is solid there in Jerusalem. And David wants to build a temple to Yahweh who has made all of this possible. David wants to construct a house where the Ark of the Covenant rests permanently. Since the Israelites escaped from Egypt, the Ark of the Covenant, hey Christina, the Ark of the Covenant which contained the tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, the Ark of the Covenant was the centerpiece of Israelite worship and it resided in a tabernacle, in a, in, in a nomad's tent. A tent that could be moved from place to place. David is now living in a well-built cedar house inside of a mountaintop fortress city surrounded by enormous stone walls. And he wants to build a fitting house for God, a place for God's ark to be respectfully housed. But God tells David that he is not going to build this temple, but rather that his son is going to build it. Solomon will build it. And further, God says to David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Forever? In the 1994 midterm elections, the Republicans, led by Newt Gingrich, took control of both the House of Representatives and the Senate. A chastened Bill Clinton was still in the White House, And the Republican prognosticators crowed about what they called a permanent majority for the Republicans. It was the first time since Herbert Hoover that so many Republicans had roosted on Capitol Hill. And they were sure that the moment would last forever. Fast forward just 12 years to the midterm elections of 2006. A chagrin, George W. Bush is in the White House, but the Democrats have swarmed Capitol Hill. Now it's their time to talk about a permanent majority. The memories of politicians and political pundits are very short. And permanent in Washington doesn't last very long. God's promise to David, however, is a forever promise. What kind of promise can that be? Your throne will be established forever. What on earth lasts forever? 
Certainly not a Republican majority. Certainly not a Democrat majority. The great dynasties of Egypt lasted 2,700 years. Think about that for a second. That's ten times longer than the entire history of the United States. But what's Egypt now? Who sits on the throne of the Pharaoh now? The Roman Empire lasted more than a thousand years. Many of its roads and monuments still stand. But what is Rome now? Who sits on the throne of Caesar now? What lasts forever? The promise made to David that his throne would be established forever is the same promise that's made to Mary that her son would be a king on the throne of David and that there would be no end to that kingdom. It is the same promise, the promise that God would establish the throne of Israel forever. Hi, Dana. Joan Palmer, I want to see your face. Send me a selfie. I mean, it says it's Joan Palmer, but you know, somebody could be impersonating her. So we, we need to see the face. And I want to see Jalen too, okay? God made a covenant with his people many times throughout the course of history. There is, of course, the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve in the garden in which God gives to humankind dominion over the earth. There is the covenant that um, God made with Abraham that he would be a great nation and a blessing to all nations. Oh yeah, before that there was the covenant that God made with Noah that he would never flood the earth again. There's the covenant that God makes with Aaron uh, and his descendants that they would be priests forever. And then there's the covenant that God makes with David that he and his descendants would forever reign over the people of God. The last descendant of David to reign in Jerusalem was Zedekiah, the 20th and final king of Judah. He lived about 600 years before Jesus, and the Bible tells us that, quote, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was not a good king. His sons were killed right before his very eyes, and the kingdom of Judah just fizzled out after that. And then came 600 years of nothing, no sign of the house of David, silence from the prophets. Hi, Christine. Hey, Rick. That is until John the baptizer appears, again speaking for God, again preparing the way for the Messiah. That is until the angel brings God's promise to Mary that her son, virgin born, would ascend to the throne of his forefather, David. All of this silence for hundreds of years. And then Jesus, the son of Mary, appears on the scene as the fulfillment of the promise made to King David 1,000 years earlier. Jesus really is about Israel. Jesus really is about the Jewish nation. Jesus is about the promises to those people made so long ago. God operates on a very long timeline. Wall Street, ah, they think quarter to quarter. Political life is on a two-year cycle, a four-year cycle. But God is dealing in centuries and millennia, and those long centuries are just the tip of the iceberg that will stretch out into eternity. And here's what I want us to realize about God's long 
timeline, you and I and Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church are on that timeline. Oh yeah. God has planned out the history of planet earth from the first day of creation until the return of Jesus. The first Christmas was a really big day in that, in that history. That first Christmas was the axis on which all of history turns. But you and I and this church also are part of that history. And God has placed us on that timeline. All of that history, whether it is the glory days of King David or the doldrums of the 600 years following the death of King Zedekiah, all of that history is God's history. Our time is God's time. We've been through a very tough year. This past year seems like it's lasted forever or maybe it seems like it hasn't happened at all. It's been a strange year. One minute it was March and then all of a sudden it was November and it seems like nothing happened in between. We've been in this kind of permanent holding pattern. So much of normal life has been upset. So much has been lost. But this year too, as part of God's larger and longer plan, this year too is God's year. My encouragement to us in tough times like we are facing now is to take a longer view. This moment isn't going to last forever. This year is not the end of the world. Some people have really lost their minds about this year, getting so frustrated and upset by all of the difficulties that all of us have had to deal with. And yes, it has been tough. People have gotten sick and died. People have lost income. Businesses have closed. Normal human relations have been interrupted on a global scale. And the trouble's not over yet. Maybe there's a glimmer of hope on the horizon. But until that day when I can walk into Wawa without a mask, this isn't over. Our confidence during this time is that God has us that God holds us, that God will not abandon us, that God keeps his promises, that God knows the future. For 600 years, the Israelites were waiting for someone to take the throne of David. I'm guessing they were impatient. I'm guessing they were frustrated. I'm guessing they were suffering. They cried out to God, how long, O Lord, must we wait? They lamented their troubles. They asked for mercy. And through it all, God remained in control, even if a son of David was not on the throne. 2,000 years ago, after a very long and impatient wait, Jesus came into the world. He was a different kind of a king than the people had imagined. He was a bigger king. The kind of king who would reign not just for 60 years, but who would reign forever. Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world, which was a disappointment to some people. And that means if our energies are engaged in the empires of this world, then they are not engaged in the kingdom of Christ. Like the children of Israel after the last king of Judah We are again in a time of waiting. We are waiting for King Jesus to return. 
And when he returns, he will gather his whole church to him. This world will be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. And on that new earth will stand new Jerusalem where Jesus will reign as king forever and ever and his church will be with him in that kingdom and it will have no end. Thy kingdom come is how we pray week to week. The capital of that kingdom will not be Washington. It will be New Jerusalem. And that city won't be built with human hands. It will descend out of heaven fully made. A place that has been prepared for us. And so we continuously cry, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The angel tells Mary two things about right now. And then a whole bunch of things about what's to come. Let me tell you two things about right now. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's about right now. That's the state that every person finds themselves born into. How far we fall short of the glory of God is revealed to us by God's law. God's law is the standard by which we will be one day judged. Will we be judged by King Jesus as having fulfilled that law? The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. And that's about right now. Each person with sin charged to their account lives under a divine death penalty. The law of God reveals to us the precarious position that we have before a divine judge. The law of God reveals to us that we stand condemned to every one of us. Which is why so many people hate God's law. After all, who wants to be judged? Not me, that's for sure. But whether we love the law or not, the law stands. That's what Jesus said. Not one jot or tittle of the law would pass away. And so we find ourselves today in a predicament. The law reveals to us our own unrighteousness. And we know that we cannot have a life with God if we are unrighteous because God hates evil and God won't abide its presence. And so we find ourselves excluded from God and unable to work our way back into his good graces. Which is terrible news. But then there's the good news. The gospel. In Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, salvation from what? Salvation from separation from God, salvation from God's judgment, salvation from the consequences of our own sin. I know it sounds corny, but the gospel is our get out of jail free card. I mean, it's free for us. It was very costly for Christ. He had to buy that card with his own blood on the cross. Paul also says in Romans chapter three, but now the righteousness of God has been Revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What do we need to get to heaven? Well, we need righteousness. Who is righteous? Well, none of us. Because all of us have fallen short 
of the glory of God. And so is there any hope? Well, yes, there is hope. There is hope in Christ, the Son of Mary, who lived a perfect, sinless life so that He had the righteousness required for entrance into heaven. And then when Christ died, a sinner's death, He bore the death that we earned. And by faith in Christ, there is an exchange. Jesus receives our sin. It's nailed to the cross. And we receive His righteousness. It's draped around our shoulders like a precious robe. That's the gospel. By faith in Christ, by giving up faith in our own goodness, by relying upon the goodness of Christ alone, we are saved from the sin in our lives. We're rescued from the judgment that threatens us at the end of time. And all of that is possible because of Jesus, a descendant of King David, born of Mary, the very Son of God, who has now been raised from the dead, who will rule eternally over his holy nation in the new Jerusalem one day. The birth of Jesus is for us an invitation to be part of God's eternal kingdom. In baby Jesus, God breaks into a broken world. He plants a seed that will grow up into a kingdom that will never pass away. And He invites all of us to join Him in that kingdom. And to do that, we have to recognize our own sinfulness and our need for help. We need to repent of that sinfulness and turn to Christ as our only hope. That's what Jesus came into the world to do. None of the rest of Christmas makes any sense until we turn from our old life and receive a new life in Christ. May we do that this day. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you and we thank you for these reports of your promises to King David and your promises to Mary that you would not abandon your people, that you would set up a king who would rule over them in truth and in mercy forever and ever. We thank you for sending Jesus into this world to live a perfect life for us and to die for us. We pray this day that you give us the faith to cling to him alone for our hope. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.